Well, welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to remind you guys that if you like the show and you like what you hear, um, head over to our Patreon page. Link will be in the description of, of this show. And check it out there. You get uh, you can get gain access to exclusive content. You can get different rewards. Uh, but you can pledge anywhere from a dollar and up. And that really does help help us grow this show to and get out to communities and get out and do things to to really bring you guys um, as the best show that we possibly can. So every little bit is appreciated. And if you want to check that out, just head to the Patreon page. Again, the link will be in the description of this show. Uh, today's guest is Dr. Fiona Clement, who is the director of the Health Technology Assessment Unit at the University of Calgary. And her and her team played a large part of, in helping form the Alberta government's policies on cannabis legalization. So I think it's a really awesome conversation to have, and I hope you guys enjoy. So here we go, Dr. Fiona Clement. All right, well, I want to welcome to the show uh, Fiona Clement, um, and I am excited to do this conversation, and we're going to talk about uh, cannabis and, you know, the public policy behind it, the, the legalization, all that kind of stuff. So welcome to the show, Fiona. Thanks, Darcy. Thank you for having me. Ah, absolutely. So I I, I think this is a, a conversation that a lot of people have no idea what what really is truly out there for information on cannabis. Uh, research has, in my opinion, been pretty limited because it's been illegal. Um, so I, I guess just tell us a little bit about you and how you play into this, uh, the whole cannabis conversation, like where, what your role is, I guess, in the big big picture. Great. Well, I mean, your opening remarks are very apropos. I come from the same place. So when Trudeau launched, um, as part of his election promises, the, the promise to legalize cannabis, I was kind of blindsided. I thought, well, it's kind of a strange thing to promise, but okay, you're trying to create this, you know, very hipster perspective for yourself. And <laughs> so maybe that's appealing to a different voting base and okay. Yeah. And then when he was elected um, and decided to move forward with that promise, um, kind of, it was uh, the, in 2016, the, the Alberta government came to me um, as they do on many other policy files, saying, you know, we think that this is actually going to happen, that, that cannabis is going to be legalized, and we would like to be prepared as a province to be able to make evidence-based policy legislation regulation, and also to support our cities to do the same, because there are different levels of responsibilities that fall federally, provincially, and municipally. Um, so that's really where I came into this, um, totally ignorant, basically, um, I grew up in a house where messaging around all drugs was the same. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Um, and so I had very little understanding of cannabis. I had um, never really thought about how it was the same or different than other drugs. I mean, again, the message was like, don't do drugs, period. <laughs> it didn't kind of have a clause. Um, and so uh, that's kind of where I came from. And then for about six months, um, I had the privilege of working with my team to put together as much evidence as we could possibly find to support the government as it developed its Alberta Cannabis Framework, as it's now called. Um, so I learned a lot. Uh, many of the opinions and uh, myths that I had in my head have shifted now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it really changed my perspective. So when we talk about myths, and and I'm, I, you know, we we talked about this just before we started here, but what are some of the myths that you carried that you realized, oh wow, that was completely not even true? Uh, like, what are some of those <laughs> myths for you? Right. Um, so there's three that really really struck me, um, kind of deep inside my my heart and my soul, I guess. So the first was um, I thought that cannabis was legal in many different places globally. So I was thinking that in Holland, for example. It was legal. And I was very surprised when we got into this to find that actually it's only legal in one other country and at the moment uh, seven other states within the U.S. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a huge surprise for me. Yeah. Um, so Canada will be the second country to completely legalize cannabis. Wow. All of the other, yeah, all of the other models that you think of are actually decriminalization. 
the ones you might have heard of recently, like Portugal, mm-hmm. again, a decriminalized model, Holland, decriminalized, um, anywhere else you would think of is decriminalized. And the difference there is that at least one part of the production, sales, or use um, pipeline is still associated with criminal charges in a decriminalized model. In ours, legalized um, within you know the framework that's set out by the legislation, any part of that pipeline, no part of it would have criminal charges associated with it, which is a fully legalized model. That's interesting because I've, I've heard too, you know, you read all these things about Portugal, especially because they, uh, I've read they legalized every, all drugs at, at one point in, to treat addiction rather than the drug war. But I guess mm-hmm. it's a decriminalization of it, not a legalization of it. Exactly, exactly. And so they have um, legalized the youth part, but is still criminal activity to produce and sell. Oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of an underhanded way of doing that. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. that's that's better, I suppose, than you know just having everything illegal. But um, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's I'm glad you explained that. To be honest with you, I always thought Portugal was just completely legal. Uh, yeah. So it's so again for me, like that was a really shocking finding um, when we first started this work. Yeah. And kind of if we bring that back home to Canada, what it means is that as as you kind of opened with, there's not a lot of research or best practices or other models of success or failure that we can look to as a country to support us. Um, so we're going to learn all these lessons um, first, yeah. um, and some of those we're going to learn the hard way. So Yeah, well, absolutely right. I mean, I think now that it's being legalized, now you can truly begin the process of researching it to its fullest. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. So you had mentioned that there were three myths. What were the other two that you had? Yeah. Um, so the second one is really around um, the rates of use and um, how many Canadians are currently reporting that they use cannabis. Yeah. So um, pretty consistently over the last two decades, Statistics Canada has done um, a biannual survey where they ask Canadians about their patterns of use with alcohol and drugs and other substances. And Consistently over that time, about 12% of the Canadian population have said that they used cannabis within the last 12 months. Yeah. Um, and about 35% have said they've used at some point in their life. Oh, wow. That's pretty um, high. Yeah. It is actually the highest use rate globally. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. So wow. we are the highest consumers of cannabis in the world. Um, and what really surprised me about all of that is again, for myself, who had some stigmas around the kinds of people that use drugs, in quotation marks. (laughs) Um, And actually, when you look at, um, if you split that out by age, or by sex, or by income level, or by education status, um, there are high use rates across all of those categories. So there's not um, any one population that is using more or less, kind of, you know, there's small variations in the percentages, but nothing statistically significant. Yeah. Um, so what that says to me is that all of your stigmas that you might have about, like, who uses drugs, you just need to put that on a shelf because they're not true for cannabis. Yeah. Um, and you need to be um, kind of bring it back to a public health kind of lens. You need to be thinking um, when you're watching your friends or people you care about, Um, But there's no particular profile for problematic cannabis use either. So kind of really dropping all that and and having open conversations with everybody and anybody who you might be worried about, um, because there is no profile. Well, and, you know, honestly, I mean, when you say 35% of Canadians have have at least tried it, well, if you're in a room of of 100 people, just look around. Those are the people using (laughs) cannabis, really. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. that's that's one of the things I've found since the whole legalization conversation really started during the election and afterwards is I'm finding now people are pretty comfortable saying, oh, yeah, no, I used to smoke, you know, pot when I was in high school. Or even now I'm finding a lot of people that, again, you wouldn't expect as, as, a, mm-hmm. as a stereotype going, oh, yeah, no, no, I, I use it for this problem or I use it for that problem. And, mm-hmm. and it's almost like, mm-hmm. wow, I... I I would have never guessed that 62-year-old guy over there was uh, using marijuana. Okay. Yeah, it's. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, partly it's because of the conversations I'm having, but I am amazed at how many people um, share with me 
that they're using cannabis. And to your point, um, youth in the elderly, so people above 65, is the fastest growing um, population of users in the country. So definitely people are trying it out. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense. We're going to get into the medical, a little bit of the medical side of things, but I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense when you start to understand the medicinal value of it. For That's sure. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 And then my last myth, if I could uh, bring that up again, is um, so there's this thought that cannabis is the gateway drug. Oh, again, yes. We use that in quotations. Um, and so we did uh, research to figure out what's the evidence to support that. So the idea being that. Um, cannabis is the, the drug that you try that opens the door to other hard drugs like cocaine or meth or ecstasy or heroin. Yeah. Um, and so much to my surprise, um, what we found was that there's a very complex um, pattern of substance use for people. There's no one pattern that fits all people who end up um, having issues with their moving on to harder drugs or or become addicted or dependent on drugs. And that often the path to substance use starts with tobacco or alcohol. And that cannabis is on the pathway that people might take to harder drugs if they move down that. Um, But it's mediated by like your social factors, environmental factors, genetic factors. Um, It's a very, very complex pathway. Um, And for me, the big learning was you know, we're, we really normalize um, alcohol and tobacco use. And now we're kind of really, really worried about the role of cannabis without thinking about it in this broader context of the way we use substances um, within our society. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest ones is that whole idea that it's a gateway. I mean, yes, I do think a lot of hard drug addicts have smoked marijuana or, or you know, used marijuana. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was like they had marijuana and then went, oh my, this is lovely. I want to try something harder. I think yeah. I think yeah. you got to look at why people use substances, like you said, like it's it's pain, it's trauma, it's mm-hmm. it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so I think they they're looking for something to dull that pain or that trauma or, or whatever's going on in their life. And I, I, I think it has very little to do with the actual drug itself. It's like, well, that one's not hard enough. I'm moving on to something else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. it, it's an escalation yeah. of anything. I mean. You start off, you have a few drinks, you start out, and then you have more, and then you need more, and then you need more, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's it's an escalation, mm-hmm. but that's a big one. Absolutely, yeah. And for me, it's um, it's one of the places that I'm really finding I can have an important voice because, again, I do think we're um, focused so much on cannabis right now, and we're speaking about things like addiction to cannabis and dependence on cannabis, and how are we going to support people who have. Um, use patterns that um, limit them from participating in society. And one of the things that I can always do is bring the table back and say, well, we need to have that conversation about substances because we're doing a terrible job supporting people who um, are having issues with their alcohol use. Um, And as you said, um, I am a big believer that, as as you said, like uh, substance use like that is really just a symptom of an underlying trauma or pain or or issue that the person, if they could get the appropriate help to help them work through that, perhaps they wouldn't need to use substances to mask all of that. Absolutely, so. yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I don't know, I just think there's a lot of myths behind it, like and a lot of stereotypes, like, you know, you were kind mm-hmm. of alluding to, it's the hippie guy in the van smoking dope and or something like that, but it's it's really mm-hmm. everybody. It's... Um, yeah. And and for various reasons, um, some people just enjoy it, and other people actually need it for for the medicinal value. So, yeah, um. yeah, and and to, just to kind of really hit that home, though, I do think the people who end up having problematic use is a small portion of the people. Like, there's nothing wrong with going out and enjoying a glass of wine or a beer with your buds or a joint when it's legal in that context. And there's a small group of people for whom um, it does become a problem. Yeah. And we need to support them. But there's also a very large group that can use um, substances recreationally, really enjoy that, and carry on with their life in a very meaningful way. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, though, that applies to all substances. So I, I, yeah, for and, sure. And it, even beyond that, I mean, it's it's like that with food. It's like that with uh, almost anything. I mean, people can, can kind of go overboard with anything, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, when we talk about the medical side of things, now I, um, 
without getting into the serious like the biology and the chemical interactions when we talk about medical use i think a lot of people think oh well it uh you know pe- some people treat pain with it and that's really about mm-hmm. it um mm-hmm. i had the experience i went into a uh, compassion club once in victoria and mm-hmm. i was I was blown away because I thought myself pretty open with marijuana. I wasn't against it for years. I've been, whatever, you do it, you do it, that's good. Um, even I was blown away. They have these posters talking about all these different illnesses and the different types and the different, well, you need this type of cannabinoid for that and this and that. I was mm-hmm. overwhelmed. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, just a, a rough idea, like, do we even really have a kind of an idea of how many illnesses can be affected or or treated somewhat with cannabis or Mm -hmm. so i think it's fair to say that we're really just um beginning to understand the possibilities with cannabis as a medical therapy yeah so the two the two areas that have had that have an established body of literature um and um the the scientific community would say um cannabis is a, is a reasonable therapy that works in these groups are for pain, as you've said, chronic pain management, and for vomiting um, that's associated with chemotherapy. Oh, okay. So, so those are the two that have um, the scientific base underneath them and the support of the scientific community. Yeah. All of the others, so PTSD management, stress, anxiety, depression, um, movement disorders, so um, kind of uncontrollable movements of the arms, for example, with with epilepsy or Parkinson's, those kinds of things, Um, uh, cancer, all of those ones uh, have what we might call emerging bodies of literature. Um, So there might be one, maybe two kinds of low-quality studies in that area. So really... uh, uncertain evidence there and certainly not enough for the scientific community or the medical community to say yes we think that's an effective reliable um, therapy that we should be prescribing or considering as mainstream treatment yeah um now to your other point i mean because it's about to be a legal substance this opens the door for us to study cannabis in a way that we have not been able to in the context of an illegal substance right um so I would expect over the next five years, we're going to see an explosion of knowledge around what cannabis can do, what different levels of cannabinoids within the cannabis can do, like what's the appropriate dosing, um, what's the methods that you could take it um, to be most effective, all these kinds of things. I think that's going to explode in the next five years. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I, I've heard, you know, coming out of the states where uh, some of those states that are legal, I've heard things where even, uh, you know, even uh, vegans and stuff are saying, well, you know, if you juice the leaves, it's like a superfood and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I really mm-hmm. think we're at kind of the infancy stage with all of this. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting. So I, and I want to make it uh, for those who are listening who don't understand what you know we're talking about cannabinoids and, and THC and THC is the actual part that gets you high. That's and, right. Yeah. And cannabinoids are more of a like a chemical compound found in the plant, um, and those don't get you high. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And yep. then and so from that though they can make things like uh, like there's uh, cannabis oil which I think mm-hmm. has some THC but a lot of the oils are very very so low that it's kind of almost insignificant. Um, yes. From my understanding. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're bang on. Yeah, and I think that um, you know we are seeing an industry emerge now, um, whereas before, of course, producing was a black market um, role. Yeah. Um, and so now we're seeing an industry that's really interested in um, understanding their product, having different product lines, subject to quality assurance, this kind of stuff. And so I think we're also going to see really interesting um, new products emerging with different levels of THC and cannabinoids within the product itself in the oil form. And, and so I, I think we're going to see an explosion there, too. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because on the medical side of things, like I, I know several people who have gone to doctors, been given a prescription, um, and you know, uh, for for several of them, they're on before they went to get cannabis, they were on thirteen different drugs to mm-hmm. counteract different things, and I I know several of them have reported, you know, after only a few months on cannabis, they're down to one or two of those drugs now and and they're working their way off those 
Mm-hmm. Um, now I know that we can't legally say, oh yeah, no cannabis does all that for everybody, but um, I do think there is something to it that and I'm very excited about the ability to be able to see that research happening to mm-hmm. really understand why or how it how it truly can be effective. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're bang on, Darcy. I'm, and I do think. Um, with all of the promise that's here, there will also be some disappointments, I think, where we thought possibly cannabis could have helped with, for example, um, and I'm just picking one out of the hat, like maybe anxiety management. Yeah. And we might we might find that's a dead end. Actually, we were you know really excited and it just doesn't pan out. Yes. Um, so, but I do think um, the possibilities here and some of the early signs of, of how we could use cannabis uh, in in a medical context, I'm really excited to, to learn more about that and see where we go with it. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I do, uh, I think it's really interesting when you want, you know, of course with the internet, yeah, everything's available, but, um, there's a lot of videos where, you know, somebody has, um, know, Parkinson's or some sort of disease and they'll actually video tape them smoking a joint and then the calming effect that happens. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't like to take that as like, oh, well, that's proof that it works for everybody and it's perfect, but, um, cause that's one person, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. and you don't know what happened before the video, after the video, that kind of thing. So it's, it's a little bit misleading, but I do think there's a lot of things that we don't, maybe it does work like that for everybody. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I think it's a very exciting time. I don't, do you think that people like we? I guess the big fear with it being legalized is that now everybody's just going to go out and smoke pot till you're non-functional in society. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mm-hmm. realistically think that that's uh, maybe after the first 90 days that that'll be really an issue? <laughs> you know, so from what we've seen in the other, in the states that have legalized in the U.S., we actually have not seen an increase in the rates of use. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a short history. So the longest data time point we have is five years. Um, and we, we haven't seen an increase in use uh, in the States. So if we kind of bring that back to Canada, I'm not anticipating that we'll become the land of the tokers. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And uh, so it'll it'll be interesting. I do think um, it's something we're going to want to watch. Yeah. Because, um, you know, again, we already have very high rates of use. Which kind of says to me that if you want to use, you already can. Um, and so, you know, maybe we've capped out and pe- there's, you know, everyone who tr- wants to try it is trying it. Um, and then there will be groups that um, the illegal status was a major barrier for them and maybe they'll give it a shot and, and try. But I would not expect a huge increase in use. I, I personally don't think so either, but I'm basing that just on my personal intuition more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think what you're probably going to see is a spike at first because everybody, I think people will go, well, you know, maybe I should try this now that it's legal. But I think r- realistically, if you're not smoking marijuana now or using marijuana now, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to come to play a major part in your life. It's, I look at it like anything. If the government, uh, you know, I don't drink a lot of alcohol and that's legal now. So... Mm-hmm. I said to mm-hmm. my wife, yeah. why would I suddenly just start smoking pot like a chimney? When it, <laughs> you know, I, I could now, but I don't. So it, it, I don't yeah. know if it'll have that huge of an impact on, on I guess, that side of stuff. I do think mm-hmm. there's, um, there is conversations to be had, though, I think, uh, related to, well, how does this play out in the legal aspects of drinking and driving, smoking and driving, uh, industry? There's a lot of industry that has safety rules that you can't, test positive yeah. well, how do those change how does that be affected do you want to be working with a guy who's stoned out of his tree on things mm-hmm. i so i think there's a lot of questions like that that i don't know if we can answer today but i think yeah. it opens you, the conversations yeah you just hit on one of the huge contentious um issues that will not be sorted out by the time this gets legalized in the fall we're thinking now um so in terms of workplace and kind of impairment there is no reliable roadside test, for example, for, for yeah. cannabis and for impairment. So the pro- each province will pick their own levels. Alberta is putting out um, five nanograms per, per milliliter. Okay. Um, so, you know, that that's fine for some people. And, and just like alcohol, for some people that will be um, a level above which they are very obviously impaired and should not be driving. Mm-hmm. For other... For other people, they will have that level in their their blood or urine, 
and, you know, they're still functioning just fine. One of the really tricky issues with cannabis that you don't have with alcohol is secondhand exposure. So yes. we do know that um, uh, in uh, depending on the ventilation of an area um, and how many joints are being smoked and the THC content of the cannabis, those not smoking can have levels in their own blood and urine that test above that five nanograms per milliliter. Yeah. So that's going to be like really worrisome. Um, and to be honest, I think this is going to play out in the courts. So yeah. for the time being, what we're going to have on the roadside, at least, is subjective measures of impairment. So if the police see you driving in a way that they suspect you're impaired, they can um, pull you over and impound your car immediately um, and then test later, because obviously the police can't draw blood at the roadside. Yes. Um, that's going to lead to all sorts of, you know, subjective, uh, unconscious bias, conscious bias. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see a lot of lawsuits waiting to happen here. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think you're right. It'll play out in the courts, much like most things. Um, I think the tough thing, too, though, is, uh, um, you know, what we have these roadside impairment tests now. So even if you're mm-hmm. on a prescription drug, and you're driving all over the road, they can still give you an impaired. And I, I think that's what people don't, I maybe fail to understand is that with or without a blood test, you can still get an impaired driving, whether you're drinking Absolutely. alcohol or not in Canada anyway, as far as I know. Yeah, um, you're right. So it, it, it's, it, it, I guess that, that mechanism or tool is already in place. So for now, maybe it'll just suddenly become a little more used, but I do think it'll play out in the courts. It'll be interesting though. It'll definitely be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, to be honest, it's going to shine a light on some of our uncomfortable truths. Because, um, you know, going back to the comment around stigmas and conscious and unconscious bias within people, you know, yeah, I, I think that, that will it will bring to light some really important conversations. So. Well, and it might even drive uh, research in certain ways forward um, because mm-hmm. these, are, these are areas we're going to want to have a lot of research done. <laughs> to try Absolutely. To out, so. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, now, the other thing with uh, with cannabis, from what I, I've heard, and again, I don't know if this is a myth, but is that it does stay in your system for quite some time. Um, Absolutely. Or that it builds up. So with that, um, like I, I've heard that it's in your fat cells. And mm-hmm. so I guess heavier people, it would stay in your system longer. I don't know if that's true, but. And so that how I'm does not that sure play? about. Yeah. Yeah, that part I'm not sure about. Um, but certainly when we were looking at the literature in the context of passive exposure, um, people, again, depending on how exposed you were, how concentrated the THC was, um, people could still test positive um, up to 24 hours after exposure. So yeah. if you think about that, like you're at a house party on Saturday night, um, in the kitchen, windows closed, uh, people are passing around a joint, you're in the kitchen just chatting, for you know, ten minutes while that joint is being smoked, if the THC content of the of the cannabis itself is high, and I mean by today's standards, it doesn't even have to be that high. <laughs> um, like you could test positive Monday morning when you get back to the office. Yeah. And if you're in a safety sensitive job with a zero tolerance policy and random drug testing, like that's that's a big problem for you. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, again, I'm not. I'm. I don't know what we're going to do about that, um, but I think it's something people really need to be thinking about if they are in those kind of zero tolerance jobs. Well, and I think that's another way it's going to have to play out in the courts too, because even even if I, you know, on Friday night or Saturday night, I I decide, hey, it's legal, I can go enjoy mm-hmm. a a joint or two, and I come to work on Monday and they test me and I test positive. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's legal, and I did it off work hours, so how can I be, you mm-hmm. know? So I, I think it's very interesting. I think there's a lot of legalities that will obviously play out in the courts, and millions yeah. and millions of dollars in court costs later will have some answers, hopefully. But That's right. That's <laughs> right, yeah. It's going to, yeah. It's going to be, like, I keep one of my catchphrases right now is, this is a huge social change for us, and it's going to take a decade to kind of work this out, get our policies right, um, figure out all these issues. It's so multifaceted and complex. Um, it's a huge social experiment. 
It really is. It, yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting to see people um, really confront the the myths behind it because, you know, a lot of the I guess quote unquote research that was done usually is like very outdated and very poorly done research from that was basically trying to make sure that it was illegal um, from what mm-hmm. I understand. So it, it's, it's hard to just reverse that and say, no, no, those are all wrong. Now we're going forward. Those 50 years that you were told it was bad. Now it's good and everything's happy. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's mm-hmm. a very interesting impact on people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's been fascinating to watch, I think, because there are, there are groups um, and people for whom, you know, the drugs are bad. Um, they've been brought up in that era there that's deeply, deeply ingrained in their psyche and it, it will not change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think legalizing cannabis is, uh, is really challenging that group in a way that makes them very uncomfortable. And, you know, perhaps they will never feel comfortable with cannabis being legal. And then there's another group that are like, ah, you know, what's the big deal? It never should have been illegal in the first place. Like, you know, really, when you line it up with cocaine and heroin and meth and, you know, opioids yeah. and fentanyl and like, we're talking about different things here, different extremes. Yeah. Um, and that group of people are, you know, it, in the context of legalization, their lives will be basically exactly the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and it's going to be really interesting. It is. I, I think so, too. Um, I, I think a lot of people that are opposed to marijuana, too, still have that gateway mentality where, well, if we legalize uh-huh. marijuana... The next one is cocaine, and then it'll be legal. And then mm-hmm. it's like, well, I don't think we're going to go there. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, there, there are harms associated with cannabis use. So, and we don't, we don't know a lot about some of the negative impacts. But, you know, for example, we do know that there is uh, uh, something to be concerned about, and we're not quite sure what, but something to be worried about in terms of cannabis use and um, psychotic disorders, so schizophrenia, psychosis. Mm. And we're not sure if um, cannabis kind of worsens uh, those kinds of diseases that are already present in people, yeah. or if it hastens um, your first presentation, for example, or if it causes them. Like We, we don't know what's going on there, but there, there definitely is a signal that we should be worried in, in those kinds of um, mental health illnesses and cannabis use. There's a, there's a signal there for sure. Well, um, I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think it's like that, you know, you got to be careful treating anything. Um, mm-hmm. So again, mm-hmm. this goes back to now it'll be legal. We can actually research it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We can learn a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you find that, uh, cause you're, am I correct in saying you're with the university of Calgary? Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're sort of part of a group of people that is starting to do some research and starting to comb through these things. Is there mm-hmm. a, I guess, is there an anticipation of an entire, I guess, research industry being gro- born out of this as well? Yeah. Well, so in terms of its, uh, like the, the interactions with cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system in, in terms of um, kind of going back to the biological mechanisms and all that, that, that research is, um, been alive and well for many, many decades. Um, and that, I think, we, it's, it's not big enough for us to understand everything that we need to know, but, but that is already kind of launched and connected and, and funded and moving forward in Canada. Um, on the policy side, um, I hope that there's a research industry that emerges mm-hmm. uh, because we are very under-resourced. There's not that many people studying this in Canada. And legalization presents um, not only the opportunity to study it, but I think almost um, a requirement to do so. Um, I mean, as I said, it's going to take us a long time to get our policies right. And I don't think we're, we should be making policies and then just like assuming that they're doing what we hoped that they would. Um, <laughs> we, like. We need to be able to say, like, yes, this is achieving the goal we stated out, or actually it's not, and we need to pivot, or we're, you know, this is happening, and that's not good. We need to kind of rework this policy. And so I hope that we see a very vibrant policy research um, group emerge. Um, I mean, there is signals from the feds that there's going to be money to support this kind of research, because that's required, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm optimistic. 
Well, that's that's awesome. That's that, I think it'd be amazing if, uh, especially for Canada as a, as a little bit of a source of pride. I think if we could get on the the leading front of some of this research, mm-hmm. I, I think it would be really a good thing for Canada. I mean, uh, being I agree. the second country to legalize, I didn't realize that. So that, I mean, that's that's something to brag about. I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and it gives us the opportunity to be leaders. So it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now. Um, Going into the public policy a little bit, um, I know that I've heard a lot of people be critical of, of how Canada's rolling it out, and mm-hmm. which is obvious because you're going to get into politics and it's like, oh, that team sucks, so I hate everything they do. And But the truth, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, is from what I've heard from people who understand how the, some of those states rolled it out and then look at how Canada's doing it. I've heard actually some really positive comments about how Canada. So I don't know if you have a mm-hmm. a foot in that fire to say whether not maybe specifics on policies, but whether we whether we seem to take what the states did and kind of learn from that and mm-hmm. and do something positive. I don't know. Is that uh... yeah? So I'm I'm a bit biased. So for you know take take my role in in the Alberta's uh, evolving policies into to account when you hear what I'm going to say here. <laughs> um, so I. Um, if we back up to 2015, so we're uh, when under the Harper government, the federal government did not meet with the provinces. Period. Oh, okay. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, and then you know, 2015, Justin Trudeau comes in and he says, "Okay, we're going to legalize cannabis." Um, and this, you know, the feds haven't met with the provinces as a group for eight years. And this is the issue that you're bringing the provinces to the table over. Right. Um, (laughs) So as you can imagine, you know, it's contentious. There was some um, grievances that needed to be aired. (laughs) There were some, uh, uh, um, yeah, some things that needed to be said that were perhaps uncomfortable, I guess. Um, And so it was a rocky, rocky start to try and bring the provinces together to discuss on this issue. Um, So I guess, uh, my my observation is, um, I think Alberta did exceptionally well. I'm very proud of the process that Al- that Alberta adopted to support their policy development um, because they were one of the first to get organized in terms of getting the evidence in place, going out for public consultation, um, integrating what they heard through that consultation into the framework. I think they um, kind of established the model by which other provinces should use to develop their policies yeah um and in some ways well not in some ways in because alberta was quicker to organize than the feds they also got to drive um some of the issues so i'm really proud of alberta's leadership here i think the feds it was awesome um the feds i think you know yeah (laughs) i don't know what to say i guess you know, it's it's an issue. They said they were going to do it. It looks like they're going to do it. I guess that's a good thing. You know, the process, I think, could have been smoother. Um, but it's also, that's the way kind of issues pan out in, in, in Canada, right? Where you have the federal government and then essentially um, 13 other governments who have different responsibilities. And um, sometimes the relationship can be a little bit antagonistic between the feds and the provinces. So... Well, absolutely, and I think um, for me, I always look at some of these issues, and and I think, um, you know, it's great for the government in this case to say, "Oh, marijuana is going to be legal," but the mm-hmm. truth, but the truth is, is whatever impact that has on mm-hmm. society is going to have to be dealt with by the provincial or uh, government. So, if there mm-hmm. is a, a negative or positive health impact, that's on the province. If yeah, there's absolutely. A, if there's extra costs in in society, you know, social issues, that's going to be on the, you know, the government can, so mm-hmm. the federal government is almost mm-hmm. like, it's legal. Okay, we're done. We can run away now. <laughs> that's um, exactly right. That's so exactly right. I, I always approach these with a little bit of caution because, and I think the provinces have, you know, we have a responsibility in Alberta to Albertans, but mm-hmm. Nova Scotia government has a responsibility in Nova Scotia and they know mm-hmm. their people and they know their climate and they know their understandings of things. Uh-huh. So it, it, the federal government, I guess, it's good that they're making it illegal, but I think it, it should kind of almost be left up to those provinces to determine how they almost implement it, just simply because they know their people better. Yeah, 
And that's exactly right. Like the federal government, um, I mean, they have to establish it as a legal substance. And then they can do, um, if they draw that box, they can narrow the box um, as restrictively as they wish, or they can keep it super broad. And they've decided to go pretty broad, right? Like it's going to be legal, a minimum federal age of 18. Provinces can um, legislate up from there. Um, They've recommended um, kind of targets for plants and possessions. But again, that's actually provincial jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Um, They've said no edibles at this point. Like that's, that's, and then they're, and they're establishing the federal tax rate. So that's, that's a pretty big box for the provinces then to legislate within. Um, And then underneath that, you know, once the provinces legislate, then the cities need to develop their own bylaws again within however restrictive the provinces draw their box. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, I I, I guess I got to, I'm confused about something and maybe you can help me with that. Um, So we, we, well, there's two things I want to get to before we close out. And uh, one is uh, there's been some talk in the Indigenous community about the impact on, on reservations and stuff. So I kind of want to touch mm-hmm. on that a little bit. But I guess for me, when you say, okay, they're not making edibles legal. And I, yeah. I, I question that. I think, well, did we not just go through this with the Supreme Court of Canada where they said, no, if you're using it for medicinal reasons, you can take it in any form. It's not just smoking it. And then the government right. rolls this out. And then I think... But we're trying to cut down on people smoking things into their lungs, but at the same time saying you can only smoke it. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is so? Why I should is be more clear. It? Yeah, so I'll be more clear. So actually, it's the production and sales of edibles that are off off the table right now for your personal use. However, you would like to use cannabis, you are welcome to. So if you want to okay. buy oils and you want to make it into brownies. That is totally up to you. Okay. You are not allowed to sell that, and you are not allowed to produce it for sale. Now, what about <laughs> yeah, years ago? I read this story, and uh, there's a lady who was basically making uh, pot brownies for her the old the seniors' home near her house. Oh so yeah. <laughs> she wasn't selling them though. She was just making, mm-hmm. and, and everybody was feeling better after. Um, mm-hmm. So would it, in that case, I guess, if you made them on your own and you went and you say you you weren't selling them, but you went so to a party and you everybody mm-hmm. ate your brownies, is that mm-hmm. kind of thing illegal, or is that getting too kind of nitty gritty at at this point? So that I so I know you're allowed <laughs> it for personal use, right? Um, okay. But I mean, it's sort of the same as you buy a bottle of wine and you take it over to your friend's house. I mean, that's totally legal, right? Um, so same sort of thing. Um, I think if you uh, you would really push the envelope depending on the 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 amount that you were bringing over, I think you know. Okay. Yeah, like so, if you're making yeah. a thousand brownies. Yeah, I think that'd be a little. Different. Yeah, then you might have a hard time arguing it's for personal use. So. <laughs> Unless you really like brownies. Um, so, what is the? I guess why the distinction between edibles and just regular use what mm-hmm. what is it that like i've heard edibles it it hits your system faster or something i don't know is that mm-hmm. kind of the reason behind that i like i don't understand yeah so there's a bunch of different issues so one is um given the short timeline there was so much to legislate and develop policy around that i think the government needed to just draw its line in the sand somewhere and say this is what we can do this time and, you know, in the following year, we will develop policies and legislation for this. Okay. And so in some ways, splitting it off by um, product. So in terms of like we're dealing with smoked, ca- like smoked cannabis here, not an edibles. It's just kind of an easy place to draw a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, there's a lot of different issues with edibles. So the one, you know, some of the obvious ones would be, OK, where are you going to be allowed to sell edibles? What are you right. going to be able to make them look like? Because yeah. there are issues with, you know, if you make them look like gummy bears, you have a higher rate of accidental ingestion amongst kids, right? Because True. kids don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what are they going to be allowed to look like? What kinds of forms are they going to be allowed to be in? How do you ensure um, quality and safety and, um, uh, you know, kind of sanitation um, within the production facility of the edibles, which is a little bit different than what you're required for just like a cannabis shop. Mm, um, mm. So there's just like lots of added layers that yeah. are complicated. 
Um, yeah. And so for for this time round, just like draw a line. We're not dealing with that right now. We will deal with that over the next year. And oh, okay. it's simply a capacity issue. Yeah, well, and it makes sense, I guess, to to a certain extent, because, I mean, there is a lot of rules even just around food handling, let mm-hmm. alone now you're going to introduce, you know, this, and then where did you get that? And, yeah, <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, I guess I can exactly. understand that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I, and I don't know if you're really, uh, you know, if you can really talk much to this, but I guess the last thing I wanted to to, to look at was just, there has been some negative reaction. I wouldn't say overwhelmingly, but I, there has been a few people speak out saying, you know, just this broad-based legalization will will negatively impact, um, like, Indigenous communities, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been, uh, I guess, for what you're doing, is there, has there been any kind of thought put into how, how do we research that impact? How do we look at it? Um, so is there, I guess, an Indigenous lens being put on any of this at this point? Yeah. So you're really pushing me to the edge of my knowledge, Darcy. Um, so <laughs> well, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I also have heard um, the chatter and I think it's a very fair observation that indigenous communities have not been um, robustly consulted mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, where that would happen is not totally clear. Like, I mean, I think it, it should be driven out of the federal government, but I do know within the provincial process, Indigenous communities were involved in the in the, process, the policy process um, as well as the stakeholder consultation process, and and it was tricky because it was very unclear um, what the relationship between the province and the Indigenous communities would be, mm-hmm. um, and so it's going to be a bit murky, I think. Um, I, I'm also aware that there are some communities in in Alberta who are um, well poised to be a cannabis producer. They've got um, they're already producing for medical use, and they would like to jump over into recreational use. And again, like what are going to be the rules for that? Yeah. Um, whose responsibility? Whose jurisdiction is it? Um, how is it all going to work together? Yeah. yeah. And then and then there's also um, so there's that kind of layer, but then there's also concerns rightly i think that um um uh, populations who um, are already struggling a little bit with um, substance use legalization we're not sure if it's going to be good or bad and if it's going to be a helpful or a harmful force um to to combat that and so i think taking an indigenous lens to some of those social issues that we might be watching out for will be super important and and I don't know who's going to do that. So, well, and it's interesting. So, you when you guys were on the provincial side, you they they actually did um, at some level do some consultation with First Nations in here in here in Alberta. Then, absolutely. I mean, I think the uh, people would still wow. say that it was not enough and it was not robust enough. But yeah. certainly, their voice their voice was around the table. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, again, it goes to that murky area where, yes, um, you know, Indigenous people, I guess, are the are the fiduciary responsibility of the federal government. Yet at the same time, it's the province that has to deal with, you know, health care and social mm-hmm. and, and infrastructure and agriculture and all these things. So I, mm-hmm. I, I hope that provinces across the way consult with Indigenous, uh, like Alberta did, or even better. Um, and then I think it's yeah. going to be tough, too, because... If Alberta says, okay, here's the rules we have for producing and blah, 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 and then let's say you go over to two or three provinces and they have different rules, well, now you've almost got an unfair marketplace for, for people that are producing. So mm-hmm. that's going to be exactly. kind of an issue too, I think. That's interesting. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting. And I do. I, I really hope that, um, you know, within your communities um, that, that you would feel very comfortable kind of stepping forward and be like, hey, we're not in this conversation. Like, yeah. how do we get around this table, and or how do we build our own table, or can you come to our table? And, yeah. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that um, some kind of collaboration can emerge, and because I do worry that without someone specifically um, focusing on indigenous communities and the interplay between legalization and and their needs, you know. It could get lost in the fray. There's a lot going on right now. Well, and that's just it. And and I think you know it's gonna ba- it's gonna come down to there's not one solution for every indigenous person. Um, mm-hmm. 
and so it, it's a very complicated issue. But I think you know overall this whole issue is is fairly complicated. Uh, it's like a, so you just you open one thing and then there's ten other things and. Um, but I, you know, it's it's just an amazing conversation. I'd I'd actually we're running low on time, but I'd love to have you come on again, or um, you know, uh, and just continue this conversation maybe at a later date as we're further down the legalization road. Oh, thanks, Darcy. I've really enjoyed our conversation this morning. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, just to give a kind of a plug, you are uh, with the uh, Health Technology Assessment Unit at the University of Calgary. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah, in the Cummings School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you guys were very instrumental in, in Alberta's policies and things like that um, as far as providing evidence and providing information about cannabis, correct? That's right, yeah. It it, it consumed six months of my life, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of just coming out of the haze of all of the evidence, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no, perfect. Awesome. Well, I, I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you again, and I, I really appreciate you chatting this morning. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Darcy. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I hope you guys liked that conversation as much as I did. Uh, I learned a lot out of it, and I want to thank Dr. Fiona Clement for being on the show and being part of our show. And, you know, as we move down this road of legalization, I'm very much looking forward to uh, continuing to have conversations about it and, you know, let's dispel some of the myths and the, and the, the crap that's out there about it. Uh, it's not the horrible end of the world that, that some people make it out to be. So let's have real conversations with people that have knowledge about it and let's move forward. We're moving forward with it, so we got to stay with the times. So, again, I want to thank Dr. Fiona Clement for being on the show. I want to thank you guys for listening. And until next time, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now.